This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study. We examine some questions teachers may face, and we give some teaching tips along the way. This fall, we are studying the Gospel of Mark. I'm Amber Vaden, your host, and today I'm joined by Bob Bunn. Bob is our editor who works on the Leader Guide, the Leader Pack, and Quick Source, so he is super valuable to our team. He also leads a Bible study group at his church using Explore the Bible, so he brings not just knowledge but also teaching experience to this conversation. So we are we are grateful. Bob, thank you for being here. Happy to be here, Amber. Thanks. Today we're looking at session 11, and we will examine Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. So I'll begin by just uh, unpacking a little bit of what is happening in this passage. Um, Just reading the outline. If you have a quick source, it's what's printed in there. And then we will jump into some questions. In Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 34, Jesus and the disciples arrived in Gethsemane, where he told most of the disciples to sit while he prayed. Peter, James, and John were invited to continue with him as he began sharing the distress and grief that he felt. And then Jesus directed the three disciples to stay in a specific location and stay awake. In verses 35 and 36, Jesus went alone a little further into Gethsemane. He fell to the ground and asked God if there was any way he could avoid what was about to happen. Jesus recognized God as a sovereign father and pledged to willingly follow the father's will. In verses 37 through 39, Jesus returned to find the three disciples asleep. He singled out Peter, asking why he could not stay awake for one hour. He then directed Peter to stay awake and pray so that he would not fall into temptation, knowing the limits of the flesh. Jesus once again left them to pray. And then finally, in verses 40 through 42, Jesus returned two more times, finding the disciples asleep each time. Jesus questioned them about their sleep and then announced that the time had come for the Son of Man to be, to be betrayed. He directed the disciples to get up because the betrayer had arrived. Our summary statement for the whole session, Jesus followed the Father's will in all things. This is a a powerful study and just an important one. Uh, so we, we'll just begin with our questions. Um, Bob, where and what was Gethsemane? Gethsemane was an olive grove. Um, it was located on, somewhere on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. So it would have been on the Jerusalem side of the Mount of Olives. It would have had a great view of the city, actually, from that elevation, mm-hmm. because it would have been higher. The Temple Mount was higher than the rest of Jerusalem. So it would have been a great place to sit and watch the city and see and see the temple and kind of reflect on the temple from up there. That may be one of the reasons Jesus loved going there so much. I don't know. But uh, the name is really interesting to me because it means literally olive press. So mm-hmm. apparently there was not just the olive trees, but also a press there where they could squeeze the olives to make the oil, which had a ton of uses in the first century. Everything from religious ceremonies to medical stuff to cooking it they they had a ton of uses for olive oil and so it would have been a really important process to be able to to squeeze that but from a spiritual perspective i always think about gethsemane is the place where jesus was squeezed where he was put under pressure Uh, and and everything you know we always talk about 
that people were like toothpaste tubes. And when you squeeze them, what's inside comes out. <laughs> and so when Jesus was squeezed, what really was inside of him came out. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing to think about that. Uh, as you mentioned, he, he, he prayed, you know, is there a way to do this some other way? And when the answer was no, it was like, okay, um, I'm good for that. But that whole idea of Gethsemane and the olive press and the squeezing and how, how that fits into what Jesus experienced that night in the, in the garden is amazing to me. But, you know, he, he hung out in the garden a lot. Uh, <laughs> he went there quite often. And his disciples were very familiar with it. That's probably how Judas knew exactly where to go when he brought yeah, them. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, because either either Jesus had told him, "Hey guys, after we get done here at the in the upper room, we're going to go to the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane," or or Judas just knew, "Hey, this is the Jesus probably went to Gethsemane, so let's start there." Uh, <laughs> um, and but it was it was one of those places that was a sanctuary for him, and uh, he he loved spending time there. So I want to pause for just a moment right here. And each each week we typically share about uh, a Bible skill or a key doctrine or a pack item, some, some kind of teaching tip. But I want to stop on this one because uh, this fall we've launched uh, some QR codes throughout the leader guide. There's four for the fall. And they take you, when you scan it with your phone, they'll take you to just some bonus content. Um, it's just additional. It's bonus. It's just an enhancement. If you don't have time to uh, watch it or listen to it, you can still lead a wonderful Bible study lesson. Um, but this one, there is one in this in this session, and it is on Gethsemane. And so you can click on that. Or I'm sorry, you can scan that. And there are photos of uh, what an olive grove would look like. Um, it's just really interesting, um, little additional little nugget of information about Gethsemane and what what that was really like, which is such a significant part of this passage. So just wanted to point that out, that that is there. Um, Okay, so another question. What was Jesus asking when he prayed in verse 36 to, quote, take this cup from me? Well, we saw this idea of a cup in session eight Mm -hmm. uh, when we talked. We talked about the question. It was actually a session that you and I did together. And we talked yeah. about that on the podcast where James and John uh, arrogantly asked for the right and left-hand seats besides Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus basically said, Hey, are you, you want these seats? Do you think you're able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink, take the baptism that I'm going to take? And in their foolishness, they were like, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. Whatever. Well, now we see what the cup really was about <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, Jesus told them back then, you you don't know what you're asking for. You mm-hmm. can't handle this. You can't do it. And now we see why. Uh, it was just a uh, it was just an, an emotional, anguish filled situation with him in the garden talking about this cup. Now scholars kind of disagree on what the the specific nature of the cup might be. Um, some of them think it's the physical torture and the crucifixion that's coming up. That mm-hmm. Jesus was knew that that was coming and that. He didn't, he, you know, obviously he wasn't looking forward to it. And so, you know, it's just like, is, is there another way to do this? Uh, others think about, uh, think it, it, it may be about the fact that, that God was beginning the process of turning away from Jesus, mm-hmm. that he was, Jesus had never felt that kind of separation with the father before. He, he, he and the father communed often and, and talked to each other often. And the father affirmed him on several occasions. And Jesus said, I, I do the things that the father shows me to do. 
he was starting to experience this, this, this isolation that he had never experienced before. So that was a possibility. The, the, the third possibility is that it's, it was the entire weight of sin. The, the, the sin of every human being who hmm. ever lived was dumped on the shoulders of the only sinless person who ever lived. And obviously he had never experienced that kind of, that kind of feeling right. before either. So, you know, that, those are three kind of basic ideas. I think the answer is probably the, the correct answer to which one is he talking about could be all of the above. <laughs> uh, I think there's a little element of all three of these things because yeah. they were all three things that Jesus had never experienced before as a human being. Um, and scripture isn't really specific about what the nature of the cup is. If, if I had to pick one of those three, I would probably lean toward the third option where he took on the sins of the world. Uh, number one, I know the physical abuse was bad and I certainly don't want to diminish that aspect of it. He, you know, he, he was, he was beaten. He was bruised. He was, the, the prophet said that through his stripes, we were healed. And so that it, that's an, in, that's an integral part of this story. But I think compared to the emotional and the spiritual weight that he was getting ready to experience, that probably was weighed more on him than even the physical abuse that was coming. And there's sort of a cause and effect as well that the reason the father turned away is because he had taken on the sins of the world. So those two are related that way. So this whole thing about him taking on the sins, if I had to get back into a corner and pick one of the three, that would probably be one the one it would that I would choose. Uh, but I tell you that, Amber, the thing that really strikes me about this story, this, this account, uh, is just the humanity of Jesus, the way it's displayed uh, through this experience. Yeah. We know he was fully God. We say in our minds, we know he was fully man. If all the miracles and all the preaching and all the other stuff that he did proved his, his deity, this really removes any doubt about his humanity. This was, a, this was someone who was going through a very raw emotional experience. And part of that might have, been, might have even had to do with Satan coming in and continuing to tempt him. Because we know that from the very beginning, Satan had always been trying to convince Jesus to find another way, to, to, to see if there was another way to do this. Yeah. And so it could very well be that in the midst of this anguish, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this, uh, this dread that he was probably fe fearing, uh, not fearing, but, but feeling, uh, Satan might have been whispering in his ears, there's still time. There's still time to find another way. And so if Jesus says, when he says, is there a way to take this cup from me? He's basically saying, I know there's no way to do this other than that. So, you know, Father, I'm going to throw that yes. out there. I don't, you know, I know, I know what the answer is already and I'm willing to deal with that and I'm willing to honor you and obey you and follow this plan all the way through to the end. And so, but that, but that temptation, I just imagine Satan kind of tempting him with that same old routine that he'd been, that he'd been hitting him with over and over again throughout his whole life. That's how he works today. Yes, exactly. He doesn't change his tactics much. You're right. So but, you know, it's, it's, it's all very necessary because the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is a high priest that experienced everything that we experience. Yeah. And so Jesus had to experience not just the physical pain and the suffering and the death, but he had, he had to experience the spiritual side of it as well. Uh, so yeah. that we could know, he could know who we are and be the kind of high priest that God called him to be. 
but you know this cup was not something that he took lightly and it's not something we need to just kind of gloss over we need to understand just how horrendous it was for him to 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 carry through with that and and willingly say not my will but yours be done Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh okay so this is shifting gears just a tiny little bit um, you mentioned how Jesus did fulfill the Father's will. So so for us, how can we discern God's will for our lives? Well, I think there's a couple of things we can think about. Uh, first of all, one, one of the best ways to discern God's will is to read the scriptures and see, because there are time and time, uh, time, and time again, uh, the scriptures tell us, this is the will of God concerning you. For, for instance, you know, we know it's God's will that everyone accept him and come into a relationship with him. Now, not everyone will, but it is God's will that that happens. That's why he sent Jesus in the first place, uh, was to make that possible, to make that available for everyone. And it's the Lord's will for that to happen. Uh, Paul and one of the Thessalonians talked about, you know, your sanctification. That is, this is God's will for you. So moral purity, moral sanctification, living a life of clean, uh, cleanliness. Uh, spiritual cleanliness. That's God's will. Uh, And so it's there in black and white. It's easy for us to see. The problem is we don't, we don't do a very good job of obeying those things that we know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we see that are right there in front of us. So that makes, that makes the, the more um, uncertain kind of things about God's will, even more mysterious to us sometimes. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think for those times, and that's sort of what we're talking about here. How do I find out God's will for my career? Yeah. Or how do I find God's will for my kids? Or how do I find God's will for, for the church I need to go to? Or anything like that. What's God want for me? I think there's there's some things we can do in addition to reading Scripture. Because God does speak to us through Scripture. We can follow His example and pray. When mm-hmm. when Jesus talked about God, the Father's will, He always prayed. Not just here in Gethsemane, but throughout Scripture we see Him praying about all kinds of things. Uh, he he plugged into the Father on a very deep level so that he could hear from the Father and find out what the Father's plan was and get a sense of that from him. Uh, I think for our purposes also, God has placed mentors and wise people into our paths. And they've they've seen things that we've never seen yet. And they've done things that we've not done yet. And they've been places that we've not gone yet. And so they can give us great insight into well, this is what had happened to me, dot, 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 and share that. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that, that we can do is we can kind of look at our circumstances, look at our background, look at our past, look at our present, and say, based on that, and based on what God has done moving forward from that point to this point, what could he possibly be preparing me for? What, mm-hmm. what, could, what have I learned? What, what have I been shown? What mistakes have I made? What has my background, my backstory, and where I am right now, what does that tell me about where God may be leading me? Now, these are not new concepts. For 30, 30 years ago, Henry Blackaby said in Experiencing God, that, mm-hmm. you know, which is subtitled Knowing and Doing the Will of God. <laughs> yeah. he, said, he said, you know, God primarily speaks through his word. He primarily speaks through prayer. He primarily speaks through other Christians and he primarily speaks through our circumstances. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Um, Those sound common. They sound, I'm not going to say simple, but they sound like Sunday school answers in a lot of different ways. Sure. But that doesn't make them wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Gosh, Henry Blackaby. 
blessing us for decades. Uh, which is more difficult, discerning his will or surrendering to his will? Well, technically, they're both two sides of the same coin. Uh, you can't have one without the other. I, I would make that argument. Um, yeah. You know, if you if you if you don't surrender to God's will, then you really can't under, understand it. You really can't discern it. But if you're not discerning it, you know, if you don't discern it, then you'll never be able to surrender to it. So you, it's sort of a both and kind of situation. But for for the for the sake of this conversation, um, mm -hmm. we'll pretend that that's that that's that they're two separate things. But uh, if in that case, I would say surrendering is probably harder. And here's why. Uh, we just got done talking about all the ways that God graciously reveals his will to us. Mm -hmm. he, mm -hmm. he shows us through all those things, those those four areas that we just talked about. So he's not made it hard for us to hear if we'll listen. It, he's right. not made it hard for us necessarily to discern if we will pay attention. So the discerning may not be that hard. The surrendering, though, that's that depends on us. <laughs> that, that, that's that's a that's an internal choice that we make to surrender to God's will, yeah. to obey him and to 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 do the things that he's called us to do. Um, you know, he's we have we have that freedom to say no if we wanted to. Uh, and mm -hmm. a lot of people do, even Christians at times will, will yeah. say, you know, I believe, but, <laughs> and right. with that, but yeah. they're, they're saying, I don't want to, I don't want to take this path. I don't want to walk this path. So, yeah. you know, we have that ability to say no, and we're all tempted. Even the best of us are tempted to do it from time to time, but it's because obeying is so hard. Um, yeah. You know, we just, we just naturally, want to do our own thing we naturally want to stay within our comfort zone we naturally want to do what comes natural to us unfortunately what comes natural to us violates god's character most of the time because we're just not naturally wired to honor him and so you know the the i stand by my earlier statement that they're two sides of the same coin but <laughs> if i gotta choose one that I, I think acting on it and surrendering it and putting myself above or putting myself behind other people, putting other people above my, myself. That's a real struggle because we just don't do it very well. We don't know how to do it very well. Sin doesn't let us. It's so much, it's so much harder. Uh, okay. So this is our last question. And we, and we already talked about this a little bit um, earlier. Uh, what are some things we learn from the other gospel accounts about Jesus's time in Gethsemane? I love the book. I love the gospel of Mark. It's, it's probably my favorite gospel mm -hmm. um, for a lot of different reasons, but I also appreciate the fact that we have four different versions of so many things <laughs> um, that we get these four different perspectives. Right. Um, everything from, you know, eyewitness accounts from Matthew and John to probably, you know, deeply researched accounts like the historian Luke or, you know, Mark, picking the brain of, of, of Peter and saying, Hey, and, and, you know, it's very possible. Mark was probably there that the night in the garden as well, according to what historians say. Um, he, he was the, he refers to the, the man who ran away naked after Jesus was arrested. They, a lot of most scholars believe that was him. He was inserting himself in the story, but we get all these different perspectives and these different takes on what happened that night. Uh, so if you look at Matthew's account, it's really similar to Mark's, and a lot of people, you know, that if if you study these kind of things, you realize that that uh, Matthew may have used Mark as a source 
for his gospel. And so it would make sense that some of his stuff, mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. not quite word for word, but very, at least thought for thought, uh, aligns with Mark, what Mark wrote. Um, he does mention that uh, during the arrest portion of this story, that that the servant's high servant's ear gets cut off. We don't really see that in Mark. Um we also get the uh, we also get the the understanding that Jesus could have called down legions of angels uh, to defend him if he wanted to. Um, yes. Matthew also, and this is kind of a characteristic of Matthew's gospel. Matthew off, also focused on fulfilled prophecy uh, twice in in just a couple of verses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus says this fulfills prophecy. Uh, first about the arrest and uh, and or first about the betrayal and then about the arrest. He says these, these fulfilled. Is either that fulfill the scriptures or fulfill the prophecy, and that's a common thread through Matthew's gospels is fulfilled prophecy. So that's 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 sort of a comparison of those two. Luke, uh, it's the only gospel that mentions that an angel came and ministered to Jesus as he prayed. It's also the only the only one that and Luke was a doctor, so this makes sense. It's the only one that talks about Jesus sweating drops of blood. Again, goes back to how agonizing this was mm-hmm. to him. John doesn't mention the prayer at all. He doesn't mention the cup. He doesn't mention, you know, not my will, but your will. He goes straight into the betrayal. It, it basically says Jesus and his disciples came to the garden. Judas showed up to with a mob. Um, but John's very theological, and so he's going he's gonna to hit us mm-hmm. with some things that, um, uh, that maybe they don't, or the other, the other gospel writers don't. For instance, he talks about um, when, when Jesus asked the crowd, who are you coming for? And they're saying Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, well, I'm he. And they fall backwards all over themselves, which I think is hilarious. I love that scene. Um, that, that you know, they're like dusting themselves off trying to figure out what in the world just happened. But he, John tells us about that. Uh, that's where we find out. John's also the one that tells us the name of the high priest servant who gets his ear cut off. He, he lets us know that his name was Malchus. And uh, if you read a little farther down, it's in John 18 is, is the account uh, in John's gospel. If you read a little farther down in John 18, it says that John's family knew the high priest. And so it's very possible he and Malchus might have known each other <laughs> or at least knew about each other. And so he would have inserted that little thing that maybe the other disciples wouldn't have thought was important. But it makes it a little more personal from John's perspective because, uh, you know, he had that connection. But again, as you're as you're. As you're, if you're a leader and you're going through these this session and you're planning, I would take some time to read these other gospel accounts. They're, they're just a few verses for each one, but uh, they can give you some really interesting insights uh, that you may not see if you just focused on Mark alone. Yeah, that's so interesting to get a little a little look at all four. We, we spoke a little bit earlier about the Gethsemane um, QR code. You can scan that and learn a little bit more about Gethsemane. I also want to bring a little attention to page 126 in the leader guide. There is a little section uh, named Key Concept, and it's about Jesus's humanity. And it is a really good little uh, little little nugget of information uh, about how Mark really uh, displays the humanity of Jesus uh, in several passages in, in some of the ones in this study. Um, we know that Jesus was fully fully God and fully man, but in Mark, it, he really helps us to understand that. So that, page 126, the key concept of Jesus' humanity uh, might be a good little place to spend a little time in your in your teaching this week. 
Before we go, let me remind you about Extra. Each week, we identify a current news event and describe a way of using that news story to introduce and conclude the group time. These teaching ideas are free, and Bob is our guest today. He's the one who works on these, so thank you, Bob. Yep. Uh, these they, they are free, and you can find them on online at goexplorethebible.com slash leader extras. So they are just, um, just additional um, teaching ideas that you can work into your teaching plan, um, and it brings uh, just kind of some variety there. Bob, thank you for being here today. How oh, always happy to do it. It's a lot of fun. Next week, we will discuss Mark chapter 15, verses 24 through 39. Our guest host will be Tim Pollard. He is a team leader for Explore the Bible Kids. We hope you'll join us.